Hello and welcome to Talking Transfers, a brand new show from the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined as ever by Harry Simiu from the Chronicles of Aguna podcast, 90 Min's transfer correspondent, Graham Bailey, and 90 Min's top cat, head of UK content, Toby Cudworth. Uh, Toby had a DM earlier uh, with uh, some relative abuse uh, in his... Uh, I was well, going to use it in my intro for you, but I don't think it's appropriate, is it? Well, well I, I don't mind telling everybody what the what the message was. Um, we'll come to the story later, but my new nickname, according to, to some, is Cretin. So uh, we'll decide whether or not we want to use that going forward. <laughs> uh, well, I think we'll drop it, Toby. We'll be we'll be a bit nicer to you than that. Don't. Don't fill people's DMs with abuse. It's not very nice, is it? Please subscribe on all your major podcast platforms to the show, though. Follow us on Twitter as well and hold the abuse at underscore Scott Saunders, at Harry Simeu, at Graham Bailey, and at Toby underscore Cudworth for the latest on all of the transfers around the Premier League's major clubs, major players, even the biggest names in world football, in your La Ligas, your Liguns, your Bundesligas, that kind of thing. You can catch it all on 90min.com, and you can also catch it on the Talking Transfers podcast. We'll talk about players, managers, etc., etc. But on today's edition, it's a bumper show Another one full of the latest on a bunch of players. Richarlison, uh, his potential replacement at Everton. We'll talk about Lisandro Martinez. We'll talk about Rafinha. We'll talk about Robert Lewandowski a little bit. Maybe a little bit of Serge Gnabry in there as well. We'll talk Chelsea's defenders. Arno Danjuma and West Ham. What's happened there? A bit of Riyad Mahrez and uh, a potential replacement at Leeds. Uh, for Rafinha, although they could be beaten in the chase uh, to a Belgian international player. Uh, but we might even fit in some Neymar chat. It depends how we're doing for time. Maybe we'll save it for next week's show. We'll see how it goes. But one of Neymar's international teammates, Rich Arlison, Graham, is closing in on a transfer to Spurs, as widely reported as we've reported on nightmen.com as well. What are the details of this deal? This one is a bit of a statement from Spurs, isn't it? Yeah, we've known for a while they were looking for this right-hand side attacker. So, to, to add to depth, you know, they've got Kulisevsky, who's very good. But, you know, if they are aiming for a title tilt, as they hope to, you know, Son, Kulisevsky, Kane is good. Add Richarlison into that. And it's quite an impressive group, really. You know, it's not, we're not saying it is going to challenge Liverpool and City, but it's getting up there. But Charleston is a player who, yeah, he's a Marmite player. I'm on the side I like. I love him. I love the way he plays. I think he gets goals playing. And he's, he's got goals in a pretty poor Everton team over since he's been there. And he's always turned up for them. He gets stuck in. And I, I like him a lot. I think he's got, he's got a bit to prove. But, and, but Spurs are paying a good whack. You know, it's a £60 million deal. I know you, Scott, this morning were a bit surprised um, when that came out. But I yeah, think um, I think the surprise is more that Tottenham are doing it, you know? Not not so much that it is, it's his value. It's, you know, Tottenham are really approaching things differently, it seems. It's the backing me, of content. It's the backing of content. And I think I think Richarlison, I think it's a clear sign Richarlison has pinpointed this player. Uh, so Conte has, has pinpointed this player. He wants Richarlison, and they've gone and got him. You know, they were they were looking at Zaniolo from from Roma. Um, looks like he would rather stay in Italy with Juventus. Still, might be an interest there. You know, the the right hand side defender still isn't done, but yeah, the move to get this one done. There was interest from elsewhere. Quite a few clubs around Europe were looking at him strongly. Um, but yeah, they've got the deal done, and it, again, it underlines that backing of Conte, which I think Spurs fans will be very happy about. 
How do you uh, look at this from an Arsenal perspective, looking just across the road, Harry? Well, unlike others, I wasn't really too sort of impressed by the business that Spurs had already done pre this. I was looking at it and saying, you know, yeah, they're decent signings, but they're signings that they could have made without Champions League football. And I'm, I'm still kind of waiting for Spurs to make that statement signing. And this feels like it because of the amount of money that they're throwing at Richarlison. I'm, I'm surprised. I think maybe... Uh, maybe Antonio Conte's found the password to Daniel Levy's laptop and he's transferring money left, right and centre because this, as you said, is is very un-Spurs-like. But I think Richarlison is a good player. He's a player that I've always admired. I like his tenacity. I like his work rate. I like the fact that he does get a little bit spiky. You know, you like that as a fan. And I think uh, Richarlison will be a good addition to that attack, I think, with Antonio Conte. He's likely to thrive. And and if I was a Spurs fan, I'd be pretty pleased about this. It's a big, big transfer. Uh, Also, Spurs look to be closing in on Barcelona defender Clement Longley as well. Uh, Obviously, good reputation. He earned himself severe, but it's not really gone to plan at Barcelona. And now it looks like, Toby, I believe it's a loan deal, initial loan. And Spurs have been looking for a left-sided centre-half for a little while now. Is this a good fit for them? Yeah, I don't, I'm not overly sold on Longo's quality, but to be honest, he was good at Sevilla. It's kind of dipped, or his stock has dipped at Barcelona. Um, but Spurs do need reinforcements in that position. Ben Davis did a very, very good job last season, but I'm not entirely convinced that Antonio Conte sees him as the long-term option. I will and not have Ben Davis slander. I'm not, I'm not slandering him. I think he's a very useful and versatile player. Um, and as I say, did a tremendous job last season to help Spurs get the Champions League. And But Conte has clearly wanted to bring somebody in. He went after Bastoni from Inter, which didn't pan out. Longley, I don't think is anywhere near as good as Bastoni, but it's added squad depth for Spurs. Um and it's another option that they need ahead of what's going to be a, a busy campaign for them. Graham, uh, how does this affect? I know we spoke briefly about another Welsh international, Joe Roden, yesterday. Uh, obviously, he's not been getting enough minutes as it is. Uh, could this maybe signal an exit for him? And our Sp- Spurs were also linked with uh, Anthony Gordon over the last few days as well. So, is Spurs' interest in, obviously, I'm jumping from the defence back to the midfield here, but are Spurs still interested in in securing a deal for him as well? How is this going to play out? Yeah, Spurs is getting business done. Long layers coming in. You know, they were looking at um, Paul Torres, one of the United's long-term targets, uh, and Gelson Bremer as well. We know Torino have been in England this week talking to various clubs about him, the uh, Brazilian slash Italian, who is wanted by an awful lot of teams across Europe. But they've gone for long layer. It's a good deal. It's a loan deal. I, 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 I agree with Toby. I don't see it as a major upgrade. I think it's more of a body than an upgrade in there. But it will mean Joe Rodon is probably going to be the one who moves out. I wouldn't be surprised if Spurs are still in front of a centre-half as a, as a big upgrade. I think this deal was theirs. They've got it done. I think it's an upgrade on Rodon. Um, and we've seen Roma linked. I, um, I think we'll see a loan deal for him. He's got the World Cup coming up, as we know, Scott. No, no issues that he'll get in the squad, but obviously he wants to play. I think we'll see a few Premier League clubs are coming in for him. You know, he's been, been linked to Leeds in the past, but I think um, Jose Marino likes him from his time together. So it wouldn't surprise me to see him. Um, I would love that. Make a long move to um, to to Italy with Roma, where you know he's he's done very well with these English players. I think uh, Midland Niles aside, he's done very well. Chris Smalling's had a wonderful campaign 
last two or three years out there. He's been wonderful. Yeah. So, yeah, might be good for Joe Roden to go there, but wouldn't surprise me if that one comes to pass. Anthony Gordon? Very interesting. Yeah, so Richarlison's getting done. The two clubs, as we said on the previous book, they're discussing an awful lot of players. Um, Bergvine has been offered to Everton as a possibility, but we know that he wants to go to Ajax, really. Ajax are in for him, but Everton can offer more. That one, I suspect he might go to Ajax, especially as we'll discuss with Ajax outgoings as well. I think they need him and he wants to be there. And Bergwijn, in a World Cup year, Ajax winning the league or Everton, I think we know where he might be better off. And I think he'll be thinking that too. And they're going, yeah, he's a really interesting talent. And he's one who, it's no surprise to see Spurs are keen on him. But Spurs have signed a lot of these young midfielders with a whole host of talent before. The Jack Clarks, the Brian Hills of this world. I'm not sure if Spurs fans are jumping up and down about this because they've seen a lot of these type of deals. But they do like him. They are in for him. And the other big name, obviously, in this triangle is Harry Winks, yeah. who has an awful lot of options out there. He's got a lot of teams who want him. Double figure England caps. Um, Conte has told him he can leave. I think he's told him he can compete for a place as well, but he knows he'll be very much on the bench um, after he, especially after Ibasuma came in. And I think Harry Winks is tempted to to go and play for Frank Lampard. Frank Lampard is very persuasive. If anyone's going to get the best out of him, it could be him. So yeah, I think it probably suits him. I think we'll, we will see the likes of Allen moving out from Everton as well. And I think Winks is a good replacement. Um, can he recapture that form that saw him go Southgate play him so often, even in recent years, um, quite possibly. So I think Harry Winks, yeah, he's destined for Goodison. He's chosen that is the place where he wants to go. So we will. I don't think it'll be part of the Richarlison deal, but we will see Winks going the other way. Uh, if you're only listening to us on an audio platform, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, etc., cetera, et cetera, you you will have missed Toby shaking his head at Graham's comment on Harry Winks there. Uh, a question that I do have in the uh, in the running order here for Harry and Toby, Everton selling. Like I, I said this yesterday in in the Nightingale office in London. Uh, I wasn't I wasn't praising Harry Winks by the way. I just that it is a fact that he wasn't in the national South I'm not true. saying I would. Have, I would. I'm not saying I would have given him ten caps. But hey, if Gareth Southgate does, who we a question? Graham, if there's one thing we know about you, you're very keen to give a lot of players a lot of England caps. Uh, if Graham Graham could name a squad of fifty to take to the World Cup if he wanted to, uh, but yes, yeah, so just better did, ones than Southgate probably. <laughs> I did want to move on to uh, just a little bit of chat about Everton, Harry. Uh, to before this, or a few years ago, I mean, you looked at Everton, you looked at Spurs, they were kind of on a level-ish playing field, right? You know, they had similar stature players. Obviously, Spurs maybe had some some better ones. But to, for Spurs to pluck one of Everton's best players, that's a real statement, isn't it? Where does this leave Everton? Everton have just been a really, really frustrating side to watch, aren't they, from the outside? Like... Um, I don't have any affiliation with Everton, negative or positive. I just look at them and I think that they're a club that at times have threatened to break into, you know, the top seven, top eight. You know, at times they've looked really good. If you, you, But the thing is, you have to go all the way back really to the David Moyes days to think about when Everton were consistently around that level. They've brought in some top managers, Ancelotti, Rafa Benitez uh, along the way. Ronald Koeman, coaches that we looked at and thought, wow, they could take Everton to the next level. But the bottom line is that their recruitment has just been so bad, particularly in recent years, that they've just been falling further and further behind. And, you know, I agree with you in terms of the stature of the two clubs, 
you know, you could have made that comparison between Spurs and Everton. But when you think about how Everton have declined, how Tottenham sort of moved on with Maurizio Pochettino um, and, and the long spell that he had at the club, you can see the gap between the two is widening. And I'm not surprised now that Spurs are able to go and take away, as you say, one of Everton's top players in Richarlison. And and kind of when you look at the moves that are happening the other way, so you think about when Deli Ali went from Spurs to Everton, you're th- talking about Harry Winks now. It's very much Everton, unfortunately, and Everton fans won't like me saying this, but they're taking Spurs cast-offs now, which shows you the chasm between the two clubs at the moment. Yeah, Toby, I think uh, Everton obviously ran ran it close last season. It doesn't really inspire you that they're going to move much further forward, these, these kind of arrivals, does it? No, and look, they need to... Um, the Richarlison deal is coming about because they need to balance the books. Harry's touched on the fact that they've made some terrible signings over the years, but they've also been expensive, terrible signings. And it's not just two or three players, like seven or eight that they've forked out 25 million plus for and haven't seen much of a return on. Um, as Harry says, Deli Alley and Harry Winks are now stepping down. They're not at the level that Tottenham are at these days. Tottenham are consistent top four challengers. They have one of the best managers in the world at the club. The stadium is incredibly impressive. It's one of the best in the country and indeed Europe. Um, And Everton need to go through a rebuilding phase. They're going to move into a new stadium of their own, which incurs further cost. And I think it's going to be a difficult few years for Everton because they are going to have to manage their finances carefully. Richarlison is the first player who's going to have to go, but there will be more um, to follow. I would have envisaged Dominic Calvert-Lewin, his future at Goodison, being far from secure. Um, and also Anthony Gordon and the likes of Ben Godfrey, who I actually think is a good player, but he's not necessarily going to progress in this Everton team. And I can see them being a, a mid-table uh, Premier League side at best for the next few seasons while they sort themselves out. Uh, on Richarlison and potential replacements, Graham, how are Everton approaching this? There's a player in mind. You're on mute, Graham, unfortunately. <laughs> One more name I forgot to drop in there. We did report this on site earlier in the week who Tottenham did sort of in, Tottenham didn't inquire about, but wanted to know the position of him, wanted to know where he was at. It was Jordan Pickford, who long term is a player they like the look of. Loris probably what one year left. So that's one for next summer, I think, that we should keep now. Tottenham and Pickford. Um yeah, the, the fire sale at Goodison may not be over even this summer. Um, yeah, we, we do, we've done a report and we've got information about one of the possible replacements for Richarlison. Scott, it's another Stad Ream style. It's not Hugo Ekitiki, our favourite. Are they, are they is... your favourite team in France now? Yes, yes, certainly are. So, <laughs> um, El Bilal Toure is a player of great interest to Everton. He's a Malian international, plays up front and on the left, very similar to Richarlison. This, guy, this is a guy who's attracted a lot of attention um, in recent months, Newcastle have looked at him late last year. So, yeah, this guy, um, we believe, could be available for around £20 million. And and he's he's a young prospect who I think that's the way Everton need to go. You know, he's only 20. Similar to Ekiteke, can play both sides. So, as, as Toby said, this is sort of signing I think they're better off making and giving Lampard these young players he can mould rather than going paying £30, £40 million for... What, what they perceive to be tried and tested players and who often aren't. So, yeah, this El Bilal Toure, Mali, Mali International, um, keep an eye on him. Everton like him a lot. 
Also, keep an eye on 90min.com for a more detailed version of that story and the interest that Everton hold in the player. Uh, let's move on from the Everton-Tottenham, uh, you know, merry-go-round in a sense, the players going back and forth, to an old favourite Premier League rivalry of Arsenal versus Man United, Harry. It looks as though, and we've reported on 90min.com this morning, that Man United's interest in an Arsenal target, Lisandro Martinez, is legit. It does look as though Eric Ten Hag would like to sign him. Arsenal have made offers for him. I believe they're only up to 40 million euros plus add-ons at the moment, and Ajax are holding out for 50. Hoping, with Arsenal and United in the mix, that that asking price will be met, and expecting that that asking price will be met as well. Arsenal obviously have... They've made their move already for Lisandro Martinez. And I know that you've, uh, we, I know we've spoken about this personally as well in the in last few days. How does this, how do you see this one playing out? Because it does look as though, to me, to me anyway, this looks as though United are just hoping Arsenal do the work for them and then they can just swoop in like they've done with another, well, Terrell Malassia, uh, another player who plays in the, the Eredivisie. Well, this is going to be interesting because unlike the Rafinha situation, I feel like I feel quite confident that Arsenal will get to the asking price eventually. With Rafinha, there was always this thing of, you know, are Arsenal actually going to go up to the price that Leeds want? It felt like they weren't going to and that they were going to try their luck. And if, if they managed to get him cheaper, great. If not, they'll walk away from it. Um, but when it comes to Lissandro Martinez, this feels like a real priority target for Arsenal for a number of reasons. First of all, we need left-back cover. We've got a massive problem with Kieran Tierney and his fitness record. It is, it is such a problem for Arsenal because it significantly weakens the team when he's unavailable. And as good as he is and as much as you want to keep hold of him, we have to have a solution in place for that. And in Nuno Tavares right now, we just don't have that. We don't have someone you can trust to do the same role week in, week out or over an extended period of time. So Lissandro Martinez would provide cover there. He also would provide cover at left centre-back, which is another position in which we're short. The other thing is, as well, his ability to play in defensive midfield. And I wonder if this has got a part to play in why Arsenal have not gone for Yuri Tielemans all in at the moment and have not made that offer for Yuri Tielemans. Do they look at Lissandro Martinez as someone who can potentially play in the midfield as well? In which case, you can understand why he's at the top of the list, right? He can fill a number of positions and has an important role to play at Arsenal if they can get this deal done. Now, we've spoken a lot on this show recently about Gabriel Jesus to Arsenal. And, and you know, we think that that's going to be announced very, very soon. It might and, even be already announced uh, as we record this. We have seen Gabriel Jesus in an Arsenal shirt, haven't we, Harry? Yeah, we have. We have. We've seen pictures of him walking around the Emirates Stadium in an Arsenal shirt. So um, we're hoping we'll get that. Uh, announcement sooner rather than later. But I think in that negotiation, um, you know, and a number of, of sources have said that Arteta and Edu were key in getting that done, in in convincing him that he was going to be the centre of this project at Arsenal at the moment. And I think that played a big part in, in making him feel that even though there might have been other interest, that that was the place for him. And Arteta and Edu are going to have to work their magic here as well, because I don't have any doubts about Arsenal being able to pay what Ajax are looking for. But I am worried about that Eric Ten Hag connection and the fact that that could persuade the player that Manchester United is the right place for him. What I would say, and feel free to disagree, Scott, I said this on my podcast yesterday and I got a bit of heat even from Arsenal fans <laughs> for saying it. I feel like in the rebuild process, 
Arsenal are a little bit further down the line than Manchester United in that Ten Hag hasn't even started yet. And there's no guarantee that that's going to work. There isn't any guarantee that Arteta is going to get to where he needs to get to either. But I would look at the two projects. If you put money and, and status aside and probably put a little bit more faith in the Arsenal one if it's sold in the right way. But that's where Arteta and Edu come in. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with that. I mean, that's a, that's a fair statement to make. I think even as a United fan, obviously Arteta's been there for a long time now, as it is in the life of a Premier League manager. He's had, a, he's had enough time to get that rebuild started and Eric Ten Hag's been only training with this team for a, a few days, a few few days at the moment. Uh, but obviously, as we've reported in the 90min.com story, Graham, Ten Hag and United have been not brought to the table, but maybe are looking at this with a little bit more urgency uh, than they would have done a little while ago because Arsenal are at the table making offers for Lisandro Martinez. And they've identified him potentially ahead of Pau Torres, who I know that we've talked about extensively, even going dating back to last year. It's been a long-term target for Man United, left-footed centre-back, left-sided. Uh, they're quite a rare commodity in football nowadays. You look at Nathan Ake going for millions and millions uh and there's other players as well nathan, nathan ake and there's another there's another one oh longley we've already mentioned the quality of those players going to big six teams i mean they're, they're definitely quite rare but pau torres is another one on the radar as well but lisandro has just moved ahead in the pecking order and why do you think this is graham for united yeah, I think it's just a sensible choice. Ten Hag knows Martinez. He knows what he can do. The United Scouts, as we know, love Pau Torres. But it, no matter how good he is, it's still a risk bringing him into the Premier League, as it is with Martinez. But Ten Hag knows exactly what he's getting. He knows what he can give to the team. And I think that, that from what my, our understanding, Scott, is that that's put him slightly ahead of Torres in the bidding process. And yet, Arsenal coming to the table has alerted United to the situation. And I... For me, think uh, I think there's only one winner in this now. I really, I don't see how Martinez. Um, you know, look at what Ten Hag's done for him. He's in the position he is now because of Ten Hag, and I think linking up with him again is an absolute no-brainer. And, and from what we understand, United are poised, ready to match any offer Arsenal make. And um, yeah, Arsenal, Arsenal should have done this last week. They only had the chance. Um, although to be fair to Arsenal. United were always being kept in form of events. It's not like Man U woke up on Monday morning and suddenly thought, oh, let's go for him. United were always knowing what was happening here, so it hasn't caught. And, and to be fair, Arsenal knew that as well. It hasn't caught them by surprise. But yeah, it, it's an interesting one. It's, it's, and as Harry said, I think it is a different situation for both clubs because I, I, I agree with Harry. I think Martinez would have played quite a substantial amount or may well do still in defensive midfield. Whereas at United, I don't think they'll be holding midfield role job because De Jong will be playing there. He'll be playing that quarterback role, as we've said. So, yeah, I think that will come into his thinking. But, yeah, I do suspect that the Ten Hag relationship will sway this transfer towards United. Uh, Graham, you've copped a bit of heat in the comments of, of late for your uh, slander towards Arsenal. Uh, Gabby Jesus, why would he go to Arsenal? We've seen him in an Arsenal shirt now. Harry, very excited about that. I'm sure... Uh, but one player that uh, I wanted, another player I wanted to ask you about in more depth, Harry, is Rafinha. Obviously, you know, Arsenal have been, they were in the lead for a long time. And then 
in the days between our last podcast and this one, it's emerged that Chelsea have really gone in with a big bid, but we'll get into this in a minute. Like we understand as far as we know that Rafinha's first choice has always kind of been Barcelona. Uh, and I'll talk to Graham and Graham about that in a little bit. Are you optimistic on your chances of getting Rafinha here? How are you feeling towards this one? Look at that first. Insane. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not as optimistic as I was a few days ago. Um, but that optimism was was largely based on the fact that those clubs that he'd been rumoured to prefer hadn't actually made a move. You know, we, Chelsea hadn't made a move. Barcelona still, from what we hear, haven't made an actual move. So I was kind of thinking and hoping that maybe Arsenal could steal a march on this one, uh, come to an agreement with Leeds and, and get it done out of, you know, being the ones that showed the player the most love at this point. But I think that, you know, it shouldn't come as a surprise to Arsenal fans that somebody's come in and gazumped us. And that was one of the things I really struggled with the other night. When that news broke, the, the kind of meltdown among Arsenal fans, as you'd imagine, was was huge. And my point was, OK, you know, you, you wanted the player, you got your heart set on the player, and now it looks like we might miss out. But we were told right from the very beginning when this news was initially doing the rounds, when Arsenal's interest was first being spoken about, that both Chelsea, that Spurs, that Barcelona were all interested in this player. So to hear that Chelsea made that move that he did, as I say, shouldn't come as a major, major shock. We kind of always knew it was bubbling under the surface. It is disappointing because he's a top, top player and would add so much to the team. But what I would say is this, Arsenal clearly had a price in mind that they were willing to pay for Rafinha. And clearly that's not in line with what, what Leeds feel he's worth. And if going that extra mile is going to be to the detriment of you trying to bring in players in other positions, which we clearly need, then I'm okay that Arsenal are going to maybe walk away from this. It's not, he's not the only winger in world football. There are others out there. Clearly, his heart is set on on going elsewhere. Um, Don't get me wrong, I'd be delighted if we somehow managed to do it. But I I don't know. I'm not going to get too, too caught up in this one. What I would say is, I wish there was somebody as sensible at Arsenal Football Club to put the brakes on going crazy for a player when we signed Nicolas Pepe. When we agreed to pay £72 million for that, I wish it was the same regime that are in charge now because I guarantee you they would have had a limit and they would have stopped and prevented it. what turned out to be a bit of a mistake. With, um, with Rafinha, do you think Arsenal have not gone steadfast for him, Harry? Because you're the one club who probably are stocked quite well on the right wing you'd have to move some parts around to get him into the team I've said before that Saka on the right wing to me feels like his best position and he was outstanding there at times last season Chelsea need a right winger Barcelona need a right winger Tottenham for all intents and purposes need a right winger I know they're going for Richarlison and they've got Kulisevsky it looks like they're now filling their quota of signings with Richarlison rather than Rafinha but Arsenal would have had to have done something to accommodate him and is that maybe a factor why they haven't gone all in to get him I think it plays a part in why they've not gone that extra mile to to meet Leeds's demands I, I'm not going to say that I don't want him for that reason because I still I think he's a top player and I think that he'd bring so much to the squad and to the group but you're right in that he does play in a position in which Bukayo Saka plays and yeah we need support for Bukayo Saka and we need options and We'd love somebody who could come in and automatically up the output, someone that can score more goals, provide more assists. That goes without saying. But as you say, in, in if you look at Arsenal's list of priorities this summer, I wouldn't have guessed that a right winger 
would have been right at the top of the shopping list. And so if going that extra mile for that right winger stops you doing more, you know, needed business, if you like, then I think that you've got to, you've got to know when to walk away from it. And again, I reiterate the point before someone says I'm being salty, like I want the player, but I understand why we are where we are at at this moment in Sal time. Salty is very much a word for the YouTube comments and for the Twitter oh, DMs <laughs> alongside Cretin. Toby, uh, I, I think uh, Toby, just can you just uh, confirm here a West Ham out of the Rafinha race? Yeah, yeah, West Ham are out of the Rafinha race. Um, however, interesting to note the wages that Rafinha is on. So he is possibly going to be earning three times the amount that he's on at Leeds, but it's only 115,000, a week, which shows how little he was on at Leeds and how affordable many teams may have seen this transfer because all right, a higher fee, but reduced wages kind of levels out. Um, so whoever gets him is going to get a good deal, even if it is 55 million plus. Uh, Graham, I, I did want to pivot a little bit and then come back to Arsenal with Harry here. But we've seen this week a picture of, this was yesterday, actually, on Wednesday, I think, Robert Lewandowski seen meeting Xavi in Barcelona. Obviously, that move is bubbling on in the background here. Um, but there's also noise about Serge Gnabry, out of contract, I believe, in a year. Used to play for Arsenal. Harry told us a story off here about uh, Serge Gnabry and how he met him uh, in a previous life. Uh, is this a possibility? Do Arsenal have an alternative to Rafinha in Serge Gnabry, do you think? Um, I think there's a possibility from Arsenal's side, but I don't know that Serge Gnabry will be will be up for it, to be honest with you. Um, you know, he's he's worked really, really hard to, to get out of Arsenal, where ultimately he was underappreciated the first time around. He went over to Germany, rebuilt himself and ended up landing at Bayern Munich, where there's no bigger place to be in German football. He's going to play Champions League with them. We know that there's a bit of a standoff between him and Bayern Munich with regards to his contract situation at the moment, which could open the door for an exit. But I don't know that Arsenal would be able to convince Serge Gnabry, given what we've spoken about with regards to that right wing, for example, that you know this is the, this is the place for him. I know he can play from the left as well. Um, you could argue that he could play in the 10 role. Um, but I don't know. I, I think Arsenal can afford it. But I don't know that you'll get agreement from all parties there. I guess the hope with Arsenal fans at the moment, or those that are uh, choosing to trust in what they're doing at the moment, is that there may well be an alternative that we just don't know anything about. You know, Fabio Vieira came out of nowhere. We didn't even hear of any interest. There was not a single rumour about that. And bang, it was done. So... There's a part of you as an Arsenal fan that looks at the business we've done over the last couple of seasons, which has been largely positive and thinks, OK, just because it's not someone whose name we're hearing, it doesn't mean that they haven't got plans and they haven't got people on their radar. So that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. There, there is an interest there. There is a definite interest there from Arsenal. But as a lot of teams are keeping track of the Naby situation with his contract, buying again a bit hot under the collar with him. They want this deal doing. He's out of contract next summer, um, twenty twenty three. So like like a host of players are. So I w I wouldn't rule this one out completely. He's on Arsenal's list. He's one of the players they are looking at. Obviously, the hope for them is to still get Rafinha, but you know, the lad the lad wants to go to Barcelona, he, and he's and he's going to keep. I think he'll be able to keep Arsenal at arm's length for quite a while. So even if the Chelsea one fl flitters out or doesn't come to pass, um. There'll still be options open for him, but I think 
we could easily be sat here next Thursday and it'd be at the same point. We will know a bit more about Barcelona and their financial state this time next week. We'll know where Dembele is because let's not forget Dembele's position plays a huge part in this as well. If Dembele stays at Barcelona, looking unlikely, but then does that impact on Rafinha? I think it probably would. And would we'll sign both? Hey, this is Barcelona. Of course, I could sign both. Go and sign both. I'm Raheem Sterling and Lewandowski. Who knows? Uh, but yeah, I still do have other options. Of course, I do. Uh, Richarlison was one of them. Obviously, he's got a Tottenham now. So yeah, it's it's a real interesting situation. But um, I wouldn't rule Nabry out completely. But I think the suspicion at Arsenal is that he probably will sign a new contract. Uh, Graham, just uh, we, we've already mentioned we've seen an image of Lewandowski with Xavi. We've also seen an image of Deco in Barcelona this week, who is the agent of Rafinha. What's he doing there then? Yeah, some people like, like to think that oh, don't take too seriously, especially Chelsea fans at the moment. Oh, he was just, he was just there to say his hellos. No, he was there briefing Barcelona on exactly what was on the table from Chelsea. He's letting Barcelona know exactly what they need to do to get this deal over the line. There's not no being around the bush. That's what it was. That's what he was doing. And he can do that. He's the agent. And Chelsea probably know he's doing that. But Chelsea also know that package they put together is not going to be matched in Catalonia in any way, shape or form. So there's some decisions to be made. Does Rafinha reject Chelsea in the hope that this Barcelona move comes off? I've been told that's a possibility. But it's a huge gamble to take. Yes, indeed. Uh, Chelsea very much in the news at the moment. We spoke about Todd Bowley the other day. Uh and his, the way he's making an impact in the transfer market, let's just put it that way. Chelsea are after a number of defenders as well, Graham. Uh, we mentioned Nathan Ake briefly earlier. Uh, Matthias De Ligt as well. Jules Koundé, who's been on their list for a long time now. What's going on here? What's going on? Because they, they need defenders, don't they? As we know, we don't know what system they're going to play. Thiago Silva is there, so it's probably a three. So, yeah, I think they want at least two in. We know this Nathan Ake thing is progressing, which is an interesting one. You know, he's he's a good player. Does he improve a top 14 like Chelsea? Don't think so particularly, but he doesn't weaken the team. Is he better than Chalabar? Probably, in my eyes, he probably is. So, it's a slight grade. But they do have Levi Colwell, as we discussed as well, Scott, who, who has actually been subject to a bit of interest from rival Premier League teams, but we know that he's waiting for pre-season and Chelsea are to see what they're going to do with him. He could very well be involved again next season. We've got these expanded benches with extra subs as well, so I'm not sure how many more of these young players will go out. I think there'll be a limit on that coming this season. But yeah, De Ligt is still ticking away. We spoke about him. Chelsea are willing to pay a big fee for him, but yeah, Juve don't want to sell, basically. So we'll see. We'll see what comes about with him. Kula Bali's been linked as well, Scott. We know he's available now. There's some Gelson Bremer, the Torino boy we talked about. I think Chelsea are talking to at least half a dozen centre halves at the moment, which is only right. You know, there's a lot of options out there. But poor Jules Kunde, he's still waiting. He's been, he's been. It's he's probably one of the loyalist players to a club who isn't actually at the club. He agreed to join them quite a while ago. He's waiting for this. After life of me, I don't understand what Chelsea are waiting for. Is it the new management don't see him as this blockbuster Hollywood signing anymore? Possibly. But yeah, I it still wouldn't surprise me if 
if if Koundé does end up there, the player still wants to go there. Although Seville have warned Chelsea that if it's not done by July 5th, which is when Seville report back to pre-season training, and we've done a piece on this, that the um, the price, which is currently around 60 million, their, their, their stance has softened Seville a little bit. They've come down a few million. So 60 million will get him. But it said if it's not done by the 5th, it'll go back up towards his release clause, which is, I think, around 80 million. One, one thing to note on Delit, Juve's CEO did say um, it's impossible to keep players when they want to leave the club. He didn't mention Delit's name, but he was asked about his situation and said for, for all three parties and negotiations have to be satisfied. So he's hinting there that Juve will sell if they get an acceptable offer from Chelsea. That probably means that Delit is interested in going to Stamford Bridge. It's just now up to Chelsea whether or not they prefer him over Jules Kunde, but he will cost more money, as Graham's just said. 100 million euros, I think, is the, is the tipping point for you there. We know Rafael Pimenta was talking about his new deal. Uh, he's got two years left, and it, it'll cost an awful lot of money. He's on huge wages as well, so we're talking 100 million um, and wages. He'll make him one of the highest paid at Chelsea. And But Chelsea have got a huge wage packet that they need to get rid of, mainly in their forward line. But yeah, to lift, it's it's got a bit to run on here. Will he will he sign a new deal at UV? Quite possibly. It's one to watch. And uh, Todd Burley, yeah, he's throwing money around with Rafinha. It wouldn't surprise me if he threw a hundred million at Juventus to get a deal done. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, Harry, we've seen Romelu Lukaku's move back to Inter in the last twenty four hours or so be confirmed. I think he said something along the lines of, "I'm coming home." I was speaking to Inzaghi all season. Last year, <laughs> a bit ridiculous. Do you think? Just another uh, another dagger in the hearts of the Chelsea fans. Uh, he just he hasn't helped himself, has he? In the way he's he's conducted himself and and some of the interviews he's given. But it's really really interesting because I, I think that we've got this tendency here to sometimes make mountains out of molehills. And you know, I've been speaking on a few things in the last few days about how Lukaku was going to return to hostility because of the Corva Nords sort of statement and and all of that which actually if you read it is is really soft and and is really non-committal in in lots of different ways you know we're not going to jeer him we're not going to boo him we're not going to so what are you actually saying is the point um but the welcome that he received was massive lots of people uh turned out and it's clear that the majority of inter fans are delighted to see him return i think when people ask the question can he be as impactful under inzaghi as he was under conte I don't know the answer for sure, but my kind of my inkling is that he can be as close to that as you could you could expect because of how similar uh, the two managers set up. Now, I think there's slight differences in the way they use their forwards, but I think for the most part, Lukaku will fit in well. And, and you know, yeah, some of his comments have been ridiculous and, and some of it feels like a bit of a departing shot at Chelsea. But to be fair, I think it's a great move for Lukaku. Not so much for Chelsea, though, who have spent, what, 100 million last summer and have ended up getting a, a ridiculously low loan fee. I was just going to say, Harry, of course, Inter fans are delighted to see Lukaku back. He kept the club afloat by leaving for basically 100 yeah, million exactly. pounds. And then he's gone back for, what, seven or eight million euros for the year. You know, they just had to make do without, without him for one season. All right, they didn't win Serie A, but they've got a great deal out of it. Yes, indeed. Todd Bowley has a lot of work to do uh, in a, a number of areas on the pitch as well. But Toby, let's 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 go to West. Let's go the West Ham way. 
shall we? Do we Lovely have to? Little, do we have to? I think we do because you need to talk me through this, Toby, because it's been a, in minutes, it seems, or, you know, or in a day at least. This has gone from Arnold Danjuma, I'm talking about here. It's gone from yeah. West Ham looking good here to no. This isn't happening. Yeah, it's gone from kind of naught to 100 miles an hour in the blink of an eye. Uh, he's been linked with West Ham for the best part of a week um, in various places. And he himself said to be keen on a move back to the Premier League. London Stadium was one option that he would consider. And it's well known that he has a release clause in his Villarreal contract, which is worth around £45 million. Uh, West Ham were contacted to see if they would be interested to sign him. And that is an approach that they eventually made to see whether or not a deal was there to be done. But West Ham will always consult David Moyes and his management team over any potential signing. And we saw in January, David Moyes' reluctance to go for players who don't necessarily fit his system, don't have the right personality for the dressing room, and basically don't tick all of his boxes. And Dan Juma appears to be one of those players where Moyes has concerns whether or not he is the right fit. We also know that he desperately wants to bring Jesse Lingard back to West Ham and that would be a free transfer, whereas Danjuma would be a bit of a risk. Okay, he was in scintillating form last season for Villarreal and was very good in the Champions League, but he was with Bournemouth for a couple of seasons. He was a younger player then, so didn't have the experience that he has now, but he didn't score in his 14 Premier League games for Bournemouth, had a very good championship season and then left. And I think West Ham have explored it, but ultimately decided this is a risk and they've got plenty of other players that they're going after. So it's not to say that this deal is completely dead and won't come back to life at some point. We know how transfers kind of revive themselves uh, a few weeks further down the line and there is still two months of the window left. But as it stands, West Ham have looked at it, decided no, not right now expect West Ham to push forward for Jesse Lingard, Armando Brozier, who is their top target centre-forward-wise, and many other players that they've got interest in. Do you know how many players West Ham are looking to bring in? Overall, I think they're looking to make six or seven signings. So Aguero and Ariola were the first two. They'd like a left-back uh, to provide cover for Aaron Cresswell, who is 32 now, is, still does a job going forward, but made mistakes last season, started getting caught out and he was crucially sent off in two Europa League group, um, knockout stage games at vital times. Um, Owen Vindal of AZ Alkmaar is one player that West Ham have looked at. But they also need to strengthen centre midfields. Josh Brownhill, one option that they're considering, although Southampton and a number of other clubs are looking at him. And as I've mentioned there, they need a new centre forward to support Mikel Antonio, who fortunately didn't break down with injury last season, but is 32 years old and will have another heavy workload this year um, and needs support. And Brozier could be that player, providing West Ham can negotiate a fee with Chelsea, who seemingly are willing to let him go as well. Toby, just to point, Toby correctly pointed out there that there is two months of the transfer window left, despite what fans of certain clubs seem to believe that everything needs to be done yesterday. Uh, it's not the case. Clubs are going to be a lot smarter, take their time in cases if they feel it's going to benefit them, etc., etc. Uh Graham, Harry, I did want to jump back to Arsenal, actually. This was meant to come into the 
the running order a little bit earlier, but I want to talk about William Saliba, Graham. I'll come to you first. Uh, what's what's the latest with him here? And obviously, highly rated player, French international, but has been on loan from Arsenal. And I think a lot of Arsenal fans are looking at him, thinking, how is he going to fit in next season, especially with the World Cup on the horizon? Yeah, the plan is at the moment for Arsenal to bring him back, have him involved. Um, they want to talk about a new contract with him. Howard, the player, from my understanding, wants some guarantees. He He's open to signing a new contract with Arsenal. But as you said, his main thing at the moment is to get into that French World Cup squad. He's already made the breakthrough after a wonderful season with Marseille. And it, it, it caught me a bit by surprise when we spoke to Harry before, where the, there isn't much room in that centre-half department. They need one other, maybe. Um, Harry and his fellow Arsenal fans seem to be happy with Ben White and Gabriel. They think they will start. So is there room for William Sleeper, especially if Martinez comes in and adds another string to their boat at centre-half and with Tini as well can play there. So I think Saliba, he would be open to stay at West Ham, but he, he needs and wants first-team football. For me, I think I could see him signing a new contract, but then maybe moving back on loan to Marseille again. They've got Champions League football to offer. He's broken to the French squad whilst playing there. So I think he will be... Oh, I understand. He is persuading Arsenal. Let me go to Marseille for one more season and then I'll come back to North London to compete. The last thing Saliba wants is to be sat on that bench. And and the thing, you can't just sit on the bench for six months and then go out. The World Cup is going to come very, very quickly here. If he doesn't start the season playing, he won't be going to the World Cup. So it's a huge few weeks for Saliba to decide on his future. Harry, how do you how do you see this happening? Because obviously Graham's mentioned there Ben White, Gabriel is the centre back pairing, both signed in recent years as well for a lot of money too. Uh how does how do you see this going? If if Saliba does stay, is he an automatic pick? I don't think he's an automatic pick if he stays. Um I don't think any of them are really automatic picks, to be honest with you. And that's what you kind of want from an Arsenal perspective, right? Last season, it was Gabriel and White because beyond that, you were looking at people like Rob Holding. And obviously we had Pablo Marie at the club who got sent out on loan, you know, and, and we were a little bit weak in that area. I think the idea that Tommy Asu could cover at centre-back as well was something that Mikel Arteta would have thought about in the event that we had major problems, but then he had injury problems himself at the back end of the season. I think that, there is room for more than two centre-halves at Arsenal right now. Like, I I don't really... It's my opinion, but I don't really buy into the the thing that he's, you know, he's, he's really pushing hard for that move to Marseille. I've sort of... What I've heard is that the talks over a new contract with Saliba are actually progressing quite well. Graham probably knows better than me. He's more plugged in than I am, but that's my view on it. And I think that he's going to come in and he's going to play a significant amount of football next season. I think he will play in the Premier League. I think he'll play in the Europa League. There's two domestic cup competitions as well. So I think he's going to get plenty of opportunities to prove his worth. And, but um, to get in that French World Cup squad, he can't be... Carabao Cup isn't good enough, is it, Harry? No, it's not. It's not. But I don't think his game time is going to be limited to just that. That That's kind of my point. I, I think you're going to see a lot more rotation at the back at Arsenal in the Premier League as well. I mean, if you're playing on a Thursday night... Uh, in the Europa League, you know, forget the group stages of the Europa League. You can change your team quite a bit yeah. and normally be OK. But when we get to the latter stages in particular of that competition, which I expect Arsenal to do, 
you'll then be in a situation where you're playing Thursdays and Sundays and Thursdays and Sundays. And and I think that there will be that rotation. So I think you'll get enough opportunities. And ultimately... But 22 I, months, it's 22 months, Harry, isn't it? If he's not playing in August, September, he's not going to the World Cup. But I, I don't think Arsenal would be sitting down trying to do contract talks with him if they had an indication that he wants to go back to Marseille. But when you touch, but doesn't that make sense to tie him up though and then let him go? Which is which is common practice. Now, yeah. It's common practice in the Premier League now, isn't it? How often do we see these new contracts signing? You can't go on loan until you sign a contract. That is common practice. Chelsea in the particularly League. do that a lot, don't they? Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I think that I, I I'm trying to look at it from an Arsenal perspective, and I look at the way Arsenal have been so ruthless in getting rid of players that they don't want, to the point where they've almost not given you know, you know they they don't care about losing the money. You think about Aubameyang, you think about Torreira now. Okay, they're, they're going to ultimately end up letting Torreira go on the cheap. You're talking about Bellerin, another one that they could sell. Do they think the player trust that Harry? Though you know, see, he, he did spend a bit of time training last summer, didn't he, with you, before being loaned out? Do you think there's that there is that trust there to for him to believe that Arteta will give him that chance? Maybe not. It's probably something that they need to build up between them. You know, I think. Again, go back to when he first arrived at the football club. It was nothing to do with Mikel Arteta. No. And Arteta came in and assessed him and decided that he wasn't ready to play for us week in, week out, and that he'd be better served going out on loan. The only mistake that Arsenal made was in the second season, after he came back from St Etienne, Arsenal didn't register him in the first half of the season. So he essentially did nothing for six months before going to Nice for the second part of the campaign. That's where the distrust comes from. That's where the problem lays between him and Mikel Arteta. I don't think he liked that. But nobody can deny that going to Marseille and playing regularly the way he did, being named in the team of the year, French young player of the year, breaking into the French squad, nobody can deny that that was the right decision to let him go. So maybe the fact that Saliba's looked at his own development and seen his breakthrough into the French squad, that might make him feel actually, you know what, I didn't like it at the time, but maybe it was the right call and the right decision. So I'm not totally convinced that that trust is completely broken. And I think it can be repaired. But it's it's like anyone at Arsenal now, you know. How do you, if you want to build the squad to the point that we're talking about and be competitive, then you can't guarantee anybody that they're going to play every single week, every single minute. The competition's healthy. And wherever Saliba goes, if he wants to progress his career, he's going to come across that. This strikes me as one of those situations where I can see Saliba staying put for now, doing a full pre-season with Arsenal. There's, what, three or four Premier League games before the transfer window closes. If he doesn't start two or three of those games, you can then see a very late deal materialising to Marseille sort of on the 29th, 30th of August. Suddenly this comes about that Saliba could go back to Marseille on loan and that's how the move goes through because the first couple of weeks of the season have shown him I'm maybe not going to play 80% of the important games, which is what he will need. As Graham said, France have got incredible depth at centre-back. So he knows that he's got to be playing regular minutes in important games. Graham said Carabao Cup isn't enough, and I agree with that. And the World Cup is a big deal for a lot of players, and there's no guarantee for Saliba, even though he's only 21. A lot of the French defenders are young and are developing at the same rate as him. In the 2026 World Cup, he could be vying for his place there. It's a big deal for these players. They want to go to the World Cup at the earliest opportunity. Um, 
So it might not happen straight away, but this is one that could just come back onto the radar as and when. What I'd also add as well, I, I don't even think that even if he plays every week, he's guaranteed to be in the French squad for the World Cup. I think his inclusion recently has been experimental for the most part. And, you know, to play, it's one thing to play in friendlies and qualifiers and Nations League games. Is is that decision going to be the same when it comes to being ruthless and picking your World Cup squad? So Saliba will probably know better than we do how much of an actual chance he stands. And if it's worth moving away from Arsenal to give himself that extra bit of chance, or if he's better off staying in the Premier League for the good of his career overall. Five, Speaking... five caps, sorry. So, so, so I think Deschamps likes him a lot, doesn't he? To give him five caps in the space of, what, um, three months. He obviously likes him a lot. Let's, uh, let's move on. Speaking of uh, players who have good talent uh, and potentially are going to the World Cup, Charles de Ketelaar, uh, of Club Bruges, I believe. Uh, high, he's, he's got a lot of fuss around him, Graham, hasn't he? He's a he's a highly rated Belgian international player. Has broken into the scene in the Belgian national team in recent months, and is wanted by a number of clubs. And we believe Leicester City are confident of landing him ahead of Leeds, Milan, etc., etc. There's a lot of interest in him. So just talk us through what this story entails on Nyman.com. Yeah, he's a fascinating player to Catholic. He's one of the next waves of players for Belgium. He's a wonderful talent. He really is. And and Belgium see him, uh, sorry, Leicester see him as a bit of a key signing, really. They need to really get themselves going, Leicester. It's a bit of a, it's not a massive rebuild for Leicester, is it? But they really need to get that spark going, you know. We've, we still think Taylor's might end up at Arsenal at some point, but as Harry said, it's not a priority at the moment. It, there is interest there from both sides, but it's Towards the uh, um, down um, down the radar a little bit fast at the moment, but I understand that Taylorman's has recommended Leicester to the Catalan, but it's interesting because Leeds have stepped up in recent times. He has an asking price of we believe forty million euros, um, which is about right. Um, Leeds are going in at thirty as it stands, and Leeds like him a lot. Leeds Leeds see him one from what we've been told as number ten. He's one of these players who. It's hard to sit to know where he might play in the Premier League. He might be um, a false nine, a number 10 sort of thing. But Leicester are keeping an eye on this and they're ready to pounce. From my information is they're confident that if they can get this deal agreed with Bruges, he will pick Leicester over Leeds. Leicester are confident. And Leicester, you know, they have got this Belgium um, string of players. They've got um, Dennis Pratt, who was actually about to go out to Fiorentina, but he was there. He's sung his sung praise about less before Telemans. And they've got the fullback as well, whose name is Castagna. Yeah, Anthony, yeah. So, you know, they they know the Belgian market well, Leicester. So, yeah, I think at the moment these two are battling for him. Don't rule Leeds out, but as it stands, Leicester are confident that they can get him. And I think this will be a really, really good under the radar signing, this one. Leeds looking like they'll have some money in their pockets to spend with Rafinha on the way out, wherever he ends up going, Barcelona, Chelsea, Arsenal, etc., etc. Calvin Phillips as well should complete a move to Manchester City soon for a decent wedge of cash. Leeds are going to have to really replace those players quite well because obviously we know that... £100 million, pound, not bad though for those two. It's not, so it's a, what, it's, it's not it's a bad move. Yeah, we ran a story, didn't we, a few weeks ago. That's what Leeds, Leeds wanted. We got a bit of criticism for that, but... That's what they're going to get. That's how smart clubs run. You know, that's that's how, especially when you're trying to, you know, establish a place in the Premier League, you 
buy low in some cases, sell high, and then keep that process going until you've got enough uh, stock and position to be able to keep a hold of these players. As uh, as a number of clubs are finding out, but let's uh, let's round off the show today. I think we'll leave the Neymar chat for another day uh, because that one we could just dig our teeth into that. Maybe we'll leave it till next week. Uh, Riyad Mahrez, Graham, back to you. Uh, we've had this. Well, obviously, we've had this uh, in in the bank for a few weeks, I think, but we weren't really sure how this one would play out. But it appears that Riyad Mahrez is one of the players that Man City see out of contract next summer. Raheem Sterling, Gabby Jesus, obviously, uh, Mahrez as well. I think there's uh, Gundogan in midfield as well, all out of contract in 2023. Uh, Sterling looking likely to leave. Gabby Jesus going to Arsenal. Uh, Gundogan will see. But Riyad Mahrez has told City he'd like to stay, as we understand it. Yeah, the big three forwards, isn't it? The City approach this summer told all three of them, you know, you're going to be sold if you don't sign. At one point, it looked like Maris was the one to go whilst uh, Hazus and Sterling are staying as talks continued. So, yeah, we know Hazus has said no. It looks like Sterling is saying no, but Maris is the one out of the three who is saying yes. And, um, you know, he's in his 30s now, but Pep loves him. He, he had some wonderful action last season, didn't he? He caused some crucial goals for them. He's a real threat off the bench. He's married to a girl from the northwest now. He's happy in Manchester. And yeah, he's told City he will he would like to stay. Don't think he's going to get a long-term deal as in a five-year, but it looks like a three-year deal is close and uh, Maris will be staying put. And I think that's a sensible deal for City. Yeah, City have to keep some continuity in there. Obviously, it does look like though, Toby, the we've touched on this on previous shows, but it looks like they're happy to sell Fringe players to rival clubs, even if it is, and that's being not very kind to Raheem Sterling, calling him a fringe player. But that's what he might end up being next season if he does stay. Yeah, they've got a plan, haven't they? They're comfortable with allowing these players to go to other clubs and still believing that they're going to be strong enough to to dominate in the Premier League. And track record over the last five years shows that City are generally right about these kind of things. Um, I just wanted to add that as we're talking. Richarlison that we started off the show on. Um, Chelsea have been named in various outlets as a team that tried to hijack Tottenham's move at the end of I love um, play yesterday, I love which Todd. just plays up to the fact that Todd is ringing around everybody to see what deals can be done. Um, and maybe hints that they're not particularly confident over Rafinha. Yeah, we'll see how that plays out. There's a lot of... Uh, we. I don't know how many players we've talked about today, but there's a bloody lot of them uh, and it seems like the transfer window is moving at a pace a lot earlier this year it's it, there's a lot of substance to this quite early on and it's uh it'd be a long two months <laughs> i think uh, we've got some time left yet uh contracts expiring across across the world in football terms today uh don't players... forget whilst we're talking man city the mighty middlesbrough have secured zach stefan or about to the biggest deal of the summer graham um, depends. We're, we're in for some uh, decent loan players if we can get Adam Armstrong over the line, maybe. But, um, very happy on T side at the minute. We've made some good signs. We're giving Chris Wilder all he wants, but hopefully, we'll have a championship special at some point. But, yeah, we're um, we're, we're quietly confident in what he's doing. Let's uh, let's get a rating out of 10. How optimistic are you for a return to the Prem? Yeah, Joe, you know what we're getting excited here. I'd say seven and a half, eight. If we get strikers, it'll go to an eight. You heard it here. Heard it here first. Uh, if you're a Middlesbrough fan, hopefully you are. Uh, Graham is. Obviously, he's rocking his 
Borough. Is that the away or the third? This was the kit that we won at Old Trafford in, as you will know. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, no wonder you recognised it. Uh, yeah, it's not it's not a new one. We, our new awake hasn't been un- unveiled actually. We did the home one with Fabrizio Ravnelli was unveiled recently, but yeah, no, we haven't got a new away one yet. Are you, br- are you bringing really are you bringing Emerson really. back? Bring Emerson back for the away kit reveal, and maybe Branco for the uh, the third. Graham, you you need to you need to post that picture of you with Emerson. Mm-hmm. Uh, somewhere, uh, I will. I, if I turn my thing just here, that see that picture there, that is a signed picture of Emerson, um, on top of my shelf. But yeah, I do. I was there for the Emerson unveiling some, oh, what was what's probably 26 oh, years ago, oh, yeah, oh, something oh. like that. I was, I was there, and, and um, I wasn't able to get off my um bunking off um college because I was then on the front page of a few national papers the day after. <laughs> <laughs> Right, okay, let's wrap it there. We've just passed the hour mark for today's recording of Talking Transfers. Uh, I've been joined by Harry Simeu, Graham Bailey, and Toby Cudworth. Thank you very much, everyone, for a good chat today on a bunch of footballers. Some good chat as well. Remember, no calling Toby a cretin in his DMs. Uh, Please don't do that. Be nice, etc., etc. Follow us on Twitter too, at underscore Scott Saunders, at Harry Simeu, at Graham Bailey, and at Toby underscore Cudworth as well. Uh, keep an eye out on nightingmin.com as well for the latest stories which are coming out across the Premier League, across Europe, and for the stories that we talked about today as well. If you'd like them in more depth, you can check out the website for that. Thank you very much for listening, everyone, and we'll catch you very soon. <laughs>